Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. I am your host, Penny, and today we have two really awesome guests, Susie Sevier, Michael Barnhart. Um, they are the founders of Adventurous Real Estate Investors. Their adventure began at a TEDx event where the event, the theme of the event was reset, and they took that to heart. They reset their life. They reset everything they were going for. Um, they found their why, they started pursuing financial freedom, and they recently closed on their first large multifamily syndication, which is a big deal. So uh, Michael and Susie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Penny. It's a pleasure being here. Really excited to be on your podcast. Yeah, excited to have you guys. Um, I'd like to start off with, um, with what did you guys do before real estate and what led you down this path? I know you spoke about um, it started with the event, but maybe if you can walk us through a little bit more, what happened at the event, what inspired you guys and what brought you here? Yeah. So, um, you know, what I did before real estate, uh, what I'm still doing from a W2 is, uh, I was teaching at the air force Academy. Um, and, and then I was teaching genetics and molecular methods, uh, the air force was like, Hey, we want you to continue teaching. I was like, cool. Um, then it sent me to get a PhD. Um, and that's why we're, we're in, in Cambridge, England. Now I'm getting my PhD at the university of Cambridge in biochemistry. Um, and then in, in just a little less than two years now, we'll be heading back to Colorado where I'll continue teaching at the air force Academy, uh, and then finish out my, my last tour basically, um, in the air force. And, uh, and then we're going to retire. So we have about seven years left to retire. Um, and then after that, you know, we're going to be leveraging real estate in order to never work again, basically. Um, so yeah. And then like for myself, so I guess pre real estate. So I'm currently a program manager at a biotech company over here. And I guess even before that, like before I move, I had just gotten my MBA at the university of Denver, but to tie that all into our like Ted talk event, I guess with the theme being reset it. So it was like a whole day event, right? So there was like eight different speakers. There were a lot of different um, I guess like panelists in between the speakers, there were a lot of like mini events that were going on, but each speaker was like so different in the sense that it was like, Hey, open up your eyes to something new. Right. And so within that event, like afterwards that just like really sunk into us. It was like, okay, like the way we see the world, the way we see others, like the way we think about judgments, whether that's for ourselves or towards others, you know, it was just like a huge step. And that wasn't even where like real estate began, right? That was just like the beginning of like our journey. So it was like, how are we going to interact with like the world differently? Like what legacy do we want to leave behind? And so when we moved to the UK, like Michael moved first and then I moved after, like even moving here, like that was a reset within itself, right? It was like getting to know a new culture, like experiencing all the diversity. And at the very beginning, we were just like, okay, like our relationship <laughs> hashtag is going to be road to a hundred countries just because within reset, like 
we wanted to learn like about everything that was out there because there's just so much to offer and like majority of us will never experience it. Right. And it was like, okay, this is what we want to do. But what drove us to real estate was actually COVID, right? So when everything went virtual, that was like a great spot for Michael and I to just jump in because all of the meetups were virtual, all of the conferences were virtual. And once you find out like the power of real estate, like that's a reset within itself. It's like, wow, I don't have to work at W2 to like have my identity, like be a part of that. Like, I don't have to wait till I'm 65 to retire. I don't have to worry about like, what's going to happen to my children afterwards. But so many people are just like in that way of thinking that even through that, it was like money is so good when the right people have it. And so once you discover that, like, again, you can reset the way you were thinking and like help reset the world. And so that's a big part of how it all ties in for us. Absolutely. Right. No, that's really cool. And I feel like many people, unfortunately, just as um, Michael Gerber in the EMIF, he calls it, just doing it, doing it, doing it. Like you get stuck in this like rat race where you're, you wake up in the morning, you have your day all mapped out. You've been doing it like this for 15, 20, 30, sometimes more years. And it just, it becomes just like a habit. And there's no, there's no sort of like thinking above that. Like, Hey, is there something more I could be doing? Is there something better? Is this my why? Like, am I really, is this really the best version of myself that I could be living and I feel like that's super cool that you guys found this event and that was able to bring this out of you guys and inspire you to find your why and start pursuing you know your true passions and and all that stuff so that's super cool and unfortunately most people don't um you know most people probably don't get to notice this until they're like you said 65 or, or older which is super sad but um, what's interesting is that this event, it doesn't sound like it was even a real estate event. It sounds like this was just an eye, open your eyeballs, <laughs> like just start looking around event. And then somewhere afterwards, you found real estate. How did you guys find real estate and why multifamily real estate? How did you choose that path? Yeah, great question. So um, it all began like because of the lockdowns over here, uh, we had a lot of time to spend with each other. Like we weren't working, weren't doing anything. The, the first lockdown was like really strict like nobody could work right so Susie and I had a lot of free time on our hands um we don't have a tv we don't like binge watch netflix or anything like that and so um what we do is is binge read if you will and so um so Susie and I were like oh hey we're reading all these books let's read I'll read a book you read a book and then let's talk about it let's have a little mini book club and so that's what we did and so we started with these like you know some of them were like self-help books and then like some you know mindset books and things like that um, and then which, you know, you know, started with like slide edge and then thinking grow rich. Um, and, and then we got to this book called multiple streams of income by Robert Allen. And in there, it talks about stock market. And I was like, cool, cool. Yep. I'm, you know, investing in the stock market. Got it. Yep. I know you can get a stream of income from there. And the whole second part of the book is about real estate investing. And it makes it seem so simple and so easy. And I was like, Susie, we have to do this. I mean, this is something that we can figure out. We can do this. This is so powerful. Um, and so after that, you know, we have talked about like buying a, a house in like Vail and like renting it out and things like that. And so we're kind of saving up for that. And we decided I, doing some more digging. I was like, let's do this sooner rather than later. And we're doing some more digging, which led us to bigger pockets, which then led us to the plethora of real estate podcasts out there. And I was like, holy crap, this is an entire world out there of real estate investing and all these people with all this information, all this education. And it's just like a huge uh, eye opener for us. So 
going back to that, we decided, okay, we're going to stick with the single family thing for a while. And we, we decided to build a team. We were still um, here in, in England, obviously. And we decided to build a team back in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Well, we had a whole team together there. We, you know, it took us, you know, six, four, six weeks to set up this whole team. We had two doors under contract and then a inland hurricane came through, right? Wiped out 60% of the trees. People didn't have power for like five to six weeks. It was just ridiculous the amount of uh, destruction that this inland hurricane that we never thought would happen in the middle of America, right? Cedar Rapids, Iowa, took it, took it all out. So our financing on those properties was was contingent on like uh, getting bids. a contractor bid, yeah, multiple bids, because uh, they were going to finance in the 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 contractors, um, the uh, the rehab as well. Anyways, needless to say, all the contractors were busy rebuilding the city, and they had they didn't care about you know doing any kind of rehab on a on a rental property, right? So we had to take a step back. So those properties fell out of con- uh, fell out of escrow. We took a step back. We said, okay, our whole plan to invest in this one little area is kind of completely shot now. So what are we going to do? We looked at our five-year goals. Our goal was to build, to, to have five, excuse me, 25 properties in five years, 25 single family properties in five years, and then roll those in using 1031, roll those into like a larger multifamily uh, property. And I was like, hey, let's just skip that whole process. And let's jump straight to that five-year goal and go into multifamily. So in August of, of last year, in 2020, we decided to go in multifamily. I think it was August 23rd when we attended our first multifamily meetup, which was Brian Briscoe's meeting. So you, you oh, know right. Brian. Yeah. yeah, of course. And so we attended his meeting and that's where we actually met our entire network. And, and since then, since August, we have, we have had over like 600 calendar calls. We've been networking like crazy, um, trying to connect with whoever, whomever, building our investor list, but also trying to find properties at the same time because you need capital and you need a deal at the same time. Um, and then that has just landed and, you know, just working day after day after day at the same goals over and over and over, making ourselves 1% better every day, led us to finally closing on an 88 unit apartment complex about six, six to seven weeks ago now. So, yeah. Amazing. amazing. That, that's so cool. Super amazing. So what's interesting is like, if not for that disaster, those two properties would have gone under contract and you would probably still be pursuing single family for the next while. Meanwhile, a disaster happened. You at the time thought it was a disaster, but right now you got 88 units and you know, with the other um, path, there's no way you would have been at 88 doors at this point. So sometimes like, yeah. you think something, you know, you think the door closes in front of you, but it's really just another door opening somewhere else. And by the way, I see all the books behind you. So uh, this is a podcast and I know everyone won't be able to see that, but I can vouch they have <laughs> like millions of <laughs> behind them. So that's, um, that's pretty cool. Um, can we talk a little bit about out of state investing? So out of out of state, out of country, actually, um, it's for most people that sounds daunting. It sounds scary. Um, what led you guys to believe that you can close properties in the United States when you're living in England? Like, how did that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So, like, as we were like attending more conferences, I guess, and like reading more books and just listening to podcasts. What everyone kept saying was you should have gotten into real estate yesterday. And that was like the only thing that led us there. It was like, well, we can't wait till we get back because then we'll be saying the same things like, oh, we should have just started like in the UK two and a half years ago. Right. But when you think about it, like where we're going to live, I mean, cause even after this, we'll go back to Colorado, which we hope to get, or we will, I need to put that into like the world. We will get a multifamily asset there. 
But a lot of people that we know who are in Colorado, like think Colorado is too expensive. So like, even if we were there, we're going to have to go out of the state anyways. Right. So like that really is no difference. The only difference is that like we needed a partner who was going to be like our boots on the ground, right? Like the person who could look at the asset before submitting the LOI, the person who could look at it for due diligence, like that was just the big missing piece. So we knew that if we had that person on our team, then there was no reason why we should wait until we get back into the States. So it was essentially, you were looking for one good boots on the ground partner, uh, which would complete your team basically and allow you to invest anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And so between Susie and I, we, we do a majority of the work and a majority of the um, the tasks that are needed to close on property. Like, so I do acquisitions. I, I, I source the deals from the brokers. I underwrite them and everything that has to go with along with acquisitions. Susie handles the investors, the marketing, you know, get, getting all of our content out there and stuff like that and getting all the capital that we need in order to close on a deal. We had everything in place. The only missing piece was just somebody to be your eyes and ears on the ground. And that, that was our boots on the ground partner. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. Like we still needed like a KP and such, but like to, if we could have gone after smaller properties with just three of us, like that was never out of the question. Right. But we found out that like through partnerships and like being able to scale, you can definitely add more people to your team to be able to take down bigger properties. And so then like once we figured that all out, I guess, and learned about it more, um, that's the route we decided to go. Right. And I feel like, always, you know, building a team is always important, especially when you're out of country, like you really need somebody good boots on the ground. And um, is, is that something you would recommend in every situation, even even out of state? I'm, I'm assuming. Right. I'm assuming yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that person, you've got to be able to, you know, trust them um, fully to do to do what you ask them to do. Right. If, if you're leading the project. Yeah. And so uh, our boots on the ground, you know, I, I went, I was, a, he was a classmate of mine from the Air Force Academy. Um, and so we went through basic together and, and everything there, spent freshman year together in the same squadron. And so we've known each other for like 15, 16 years now. Um, and so there's like an inherent trust there because of what we've been through together. Um, so, yeah. um, okay. Now I want, I want to transfer to, a, a, a diff- this is a question that I feel like everybody's starting out um, in multifamily or maybe even single family has. Um, it goes, it's capital raising, right? So it's, it sounds scary and it's, it's a big job and you guys had to do it. Um, you guys have never, you've never done a deal before, right? Um, so you're raising capital simultaneously while you're underwriting deals, while you're sourcing deals. How does that work? Like you don't actually have something under contract yet. So A, how are you, what are you telling these potential investors and and B, like, like, won't they be like, oh, like, wait till the deal comes and then come over to me? Like, how does that work? Like, how do you raise capital before you have a deal? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing that we did while we were like looking for the deals and raising capital, you know, and learning how to underwrite is that we created a website. So a thought leadership platform as well. And on there, that is where we put out blog content and that blog content gave people like the next step. It's like, okay, I've talked to Michael and Susie on a zoom call. Now I can check out more about them. You know, like I can see what they're writing about. I can see like what they're interested in. I can see like where part of their mind is going. And yes, I mean, the internet only goes so far, but through our interactions with people as well, you know, like we determined what we wanted, like from an asset, right? So like we shared our criteria and then we also got to know these people better. So it was not transactional at all. It was very 
we were forming relationships. Like we wanted to know about these people's families. We wanted to know their deep whys, right? Because that's really important because if their whys don't align with like what we want to be able to provide, then we would never want to offer that to them. So I think like taking the next step of like nurturing those relationships and actually getting to know the people that you're talking to is really huge. But then beyond that as well is just like putting out content so that people know that like you're serious about this and you are educating yourself on it constantly. And so that's a big part. Right. I love that. So with the thought leadership platform, you're warming up all your potential leads, then you're networking, building the relationship, figuring out what their why is, what their long-term goals are. And essentially you're building that long-term relationship so that at, at the time, when the time comes that you have your deal under contract, then you could approach them. You already know what their goals are. They already know and trust you because they've seen your content. And at that point, it just becomes way easier to raise the capital. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing too, is that if you're networking, like showing up in the same space every week or every other week, you know, because when people like start to see you over and over and over in these same virtual events, like you create relationships that way. Right. I mean, like even in zoom chats, you can be like, Hey, it's great to see you here. You know, like if you've met somebody once, but you've done that with a hundred people, you're not going to go out of your way to do that in like a zoom chat, you know, but once you're showing up more often and you see these people in breakout rooms, it all just becomes much more natural. Got it. Got it. Wow. Okay. You just reinforced the, the power of networking. I feel like I've been networking like a bit, but compared to what you guys have been doing, like zero. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm definitely going to step that up uh, a notch now. Um, I'd like powerful. to talk about um, the path to the first deal. So a lot of people get started and this podcast is geared towards people looking to get into real estate, whether passively or actively um, for the active people. Um, they're getting started. They're start, starting to talk to brokers. They're starting to underwrite deals. Um, what did that look like? How many deals did you have to look at? How long did it take? Like, what, what did that path look like to get to that first deal? Yeah, I underwrote a lot of deals. Um, <laughs> you just never stop, right? So you just keep looking at them and then potentially going back and looking at them again. Um, and then, you know, as you learn more about that specific, specific sub-market, looking at, at them again, also look, looking at new deals, moving into different sub-markets um, in, the, in the same market, right? Um, just kind of, underwriting uh, over and over and over again, right? Just never relentlessly, I guess. And anyways, so uh, this deal came to us uh, through a broker who we submitted an, a previous LOI with. Um, so the, the previous LOI that we submitted with this broker, um, he knew that we were serious, we were serious buyers and he knew that we had the right team in place in order to, um, to close on a deal because of, of what he saw, like our cover letter, our cover letter and our LOI on the last deal that we submitted with him even though we didn't win that, um, it kind of like, hey, it brought us to the top of mind, right? So he's like, hey, I had these these deals, um, this deal, uh, we wanna take a look at this as well. And so we took a look at it uh, when he did send it, uh, we underwrote it, actually walked the property or our boots on the ground, walked the property right. um, and uh, and gave us feedback on it. And um, and actually our boots on the ground was like, hey, out of all the properties that we walked, like this one is like really, really nice um, out of all of them. I was like, Cool. I was like, well, the underwriting's it's not there yet. Like as far as uh, stabilization goes, it wasn't stabilized yet. Um, and so I wanted it to be stabilized. So there's like three main things that I look for in a deal right now with the, the current economic situation. Um, you know, the first one is that a deal has to be cash flowing from day one. The second one is that um, the deal has to, of the returns, you have to have at least 50% of the returns or close to 50% of the returns coming from cash flow. 
And then the third one is that I want the property to be stabilized, um, which means 90% uh, occupied for at least 90 days. And that allows you to obtain long-term financing of the deal, uh, specifically like agency debt. Um, so long-term financing at low rates. So going back to stabilize now. So the deal wasn't stabilized when we first looked at it. However, I knew that this was a good asset and I wanted to follow it. And so, you know, I made sure that the broker kept me up to date with every financials that came out. And so, so you, did not, you did not submit an offer right away. We did not. No, no. And then, so when September financials came out, I was like, oh, it's stabilized now um, for that. So that's one month of stabilization. And then October financials came out and just, we have to be very patient, right? So October financials came out, it was still stabilized and it was trending to be more and more stabilized as the occupancy kept growing. Um, and so at that point, when I saw the preliminary October financials come out, that's when we submitted an LOI on it. Like, yep, this is, this is great. It's trending towards, uh, towards stabilization, you know, one more month and we're there. And, um, and yeah, and so that's kind of how we found the deal. And we were very patient with it and watched it um, over the months, several months. Like, I guess you could say we were courting the deal uh, and, uh, you know, through September and October. And then we finally got it under contract, I think, um, December. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And were you guys the only one that was uh, tracking this deal? Was this off market or on market? Uh, it was it was it was marketed. Um, and I think everybody else didn't want it because it was a stabilized as well. Um but and but however, when the October financial came out that it was two months of stabilization, that's when a bunch of LOIs started pouring in. And so we did have some competition at the time. However, um, we had a member of our general partnership team who actually closed two deals um, with this broker. And so he knew that we were serious. He knew the team uh, that, that could close. And so he took our LOI to the broker or to the seller and was like, Hey, these guys can close on the deal, and uh, and they're the they're the ones to uh, to buy it. So, yeah, that helped out for sure. Cool, really, really cool. Um, all right, I'd like to transition into the uh, final four. Uh, these are more rapid question answer type, and yeah, let's jump right in. So, what? Okay, you guys went to that event. I'm sure you have a really good answer for this. What is your why? Why are you doing all this? Yeah, so it's kind of like a combination of two. So like the bigger one is that like we want to be able to serve beyond our four walls. And what that means is like we want to be able to give back who, to people who like can't help themselves. We want to be able to mentor people in the space and we definitely want to be able to help others reach their financial freedom because that's huge, right? But then the second part of our why is the road to 100 countries. It's like Michael and I want to be able to travel, but then within that travel, like learn and experience as much as we can so that we can give back to that like community as well. Wow, that's so nice. I love how it involves giving back. So you wanna see hundred countries, but it's not just based on you guys and your adventure. It's based on being able to help more people, help other people grow. So that's amazing. Absolutely, um, and just to add to that, Penny, yeah. it was just the first part of the why that Susie is describing there is like, the, the biggest thing for our business and, and what our business aligns with and our mission is to be able to help people check off their bucket list items now, not after they retire. You know, a lot of people wait until they retire and now they're 65, right? And you're not as spry as you were when you're 35, right? And so I, I, there's this whole mindset thing is like, why do I have to wait until I'm 65 years old and retire to travel and enjoy my life when I, my life is almost over at that point, right? why I, you should be able to travel now and through 65 right and so 
that's our biggest thing is, is our mission here at Adventurous Real Estate Investors is to really help as many people as we can check off their bucket list items now, not wait until they retire. So, yeah. Right. You know, it's interesting. I want to add on that because what you just said, you know, most people um, don't really reach financial freedom until way later in life, after 65, sometimes even later. Um, even, you know, super successful people, they only usually are making most of their money by the time they're old. It's interesting. I'm actually in Florida right now during the, this recording. And um, I was taking a tour in Palm Beach, which is, I think, the highest concentration of like billionaires or in America, at least, oh, wow. or a very, very wealthy community. And I was, I was driving the streets there and I saw a, a whole bunch of like really, really fancy cars and like, you know, the, the stuff I would love to own, but, you know, one day, hopefully. And I was looking inside and as I was paying more attention, most of these people look to be at least in the, the like 70s or 80s. And I was just thinking, boy, that's that's like, it's so cool, but it's so sad that like they have to wait their whole life. And now that they're like 85 years old, they finally got this dream car. Like, it's just like, there's got to be a way to do it sooner. And I'm not saying like, it's not about the dream car. It's just about like financial freedom and, and, and you know, reaching that point of being comfortable, being able to afford things and help others and all that stuff. But it's just that the world does have this mindset of like, you can be wealthy after you're 70, you know, but why? Why does it have to be that way? So, you know, what you guys are doing is, is you know, really amazing. And I, I hope you guys are, you know, continue doing this and inspiring, inspire everyone around you because it's just, it makes so much sense. It's, it's, you know, it makes it the right way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And in real estate, it's just as a powerful tool to help you get to that, you know, to be able to travel sooner rather than later. Yeah. And get that Amazing. luxury car if you want it. Exactly. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, what are your favorite books? Um, you can each pick one. So um, we have, so we have two, so it works out perfectly. Um, so okay. for an aspiring investor, um, you know, I think, if you're looking to get into, into multifamily real estate, um, especially especially syndications, Joe Fairless's book, um, the best ever apartment syndication book, is is my number one pick. Um, it's like a textbook. I love textbooks since I'm a you know uh, instructor at a uh, at a university and uh, soon to be a professor. So yeah, it's a textbook, and I love reading textbooks, and uh, I love that book. And then Susie's favorite book. Oh, I, I thought he was going to go along with it. So. Like just for the capital raising side, I guess would be the Hunter Thompson's raising private capital. Raising capital for real estate. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I was like, I don't remember what it is right now. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, no. I mean, that book is great just because it gives you like so many action items and like real world experiences about like how it should all work and like what you can say and how it should go or how it should not go, you know. And I just we really enjoyed that for like the capital raising side. Right. I feel like that's important too, because I mean, I'm, I myself, am trying to capital raise as well. And a lot of times you come prepared for like a conversation, but then it just doesn't go exactly as you planned. So I feel like those like examples, those, you know, you know, different options, different ways of, of the conversation playing out is important to like have and be prepared for before you go into that conversation, just in case it doesn't go exactly the way you mapped it out. So yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. Um, what advice would you give somebody just starting out in real estate? What's the number one biggest thing they can do? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that they can do is like truly find balance, right? So like if you are doing it on your own at the beginning, do remember that it is like this delicate dance of being able to network and to start your website and to learn how to underwrite. And like, trust me, it's all there and it's like all a lot to think about. But like when everything like has that really great flow, um, it all seems to come together, you know, and in there too, like 
you learn about your why you learn where you want to get to at the end. Like you learn about it all. But if you just remember that all of it needs nurturing, then you stay on top of all of it instead of like dominating one area and then completely, I guess, not paying attention to another one. Got it. Um, all right. What are your favorite hobbies? So, um, we, everything basically, uh, that's outdoors and ends in ING. So paddle boarding, uh, hiking, climbing, biking, running, um, snowboarding, trekking. Yeah. Anything that ends in ING, that's an outdoor adventure, uh, we're, we've done it and we're doing it. So that's what we like to do. All right. Wow. Hence hence the adventurous real estate investors, you know, the the branding, right? So yeah. Branding, right? Yeah, (laughs) I like it. (laughs) I mean, if you do it outdoors and it ends with an ING, so. um, That's right. (laughs) Anyways, all right, amazing. Where can you guys be reached? Somebody wants to reach out to you. Yeah, great question, Penny. So going back to the helping people, you know, check off their bucket list items now, not after they retire. Um, Going back to that whole whole mission statement there, um, what Susie and I actually did, we We've identified identified four powerful ways that people can generate passive income in order to check off those bucket list items now, not when they retire. And we want to give those four ways away to your audience. And so if they go to adventurousrei.com forward slash guide, they can pick up that uh, that little guide there. So yeah, okay. and you can Amazing. find us there as well. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And uh, guys, Susie, Michael, this has been a really, really great uh, recording. I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. You shared lots of value and not just value, but like, I feel like specifically for the newbies, for, you know, the people working on the beginning, getting the first couple of things rolling. Um, I, get, I feel like you guys really, you know, helping out major in that, in that way. So thank you very much and wishing you guys lots and lots of success going forward. Thank you so much, Penny. It was a pleasure being on here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care.